A report from Newsmax.com from 2014 states the following. Many of these college athletes are African-American and come from poverty-stricken communities. Last year, the National College Players Association released a report called The Price of Poverty in Big-Time College Sports. Their report concluded that 86% of college athletes live below the poverty line. I repeat, their report concluded that 86% of college athletes live below the poverty line. Welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. Listeners, we are here for another great episode of the Black Equity Podcast. I'm excited because this is our first time actually having a guest on uh, where we can talk about sports. Uh, on the line, we have Maya Newton of the uh, Duffel Company. Maya, are you there? I'm here. How are you? Well, I'm wonderful. Welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. Um, I'm excited for this conversation. Uh, for those who may not know who you are, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your company. So my name is Maya Newton. I'm 22 years old and um, my company is called Duffel. And what we are, we are about, we are a platform that provides support and resources for athletes in lower income communities. And how I founded this company or how I, you know, found this desire to work in sports is I grew up as an athlete. I started out with um, doing ballet and doing um a lot of different things. And then I ultimately started running track and cross country in high school. So I knew I wanted to be really serious and run in college, which I was able to do. So I ran college at Georgia State. And there was just a lot of different opportunities that ended up opening up for me. So that's how um, really the love for sports came about. And ultimately, that's how I started the company. Okay, so you have a love for sports. Yes. And you decide, okay, I'm going to put more uh, time and energy to this. So yes. whatever happened to ballet, you just let it go? It's just done? Oh. <laughs> yes, ballet did not work. <laughs> I think I did ballet for like two days and that was it. Okay, understand, <laughs> understand. And yeah. so you're, you're running track, you're running cross country. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that process of going from high school to college are there scouts that come to see you do you get a scholarship or how does that work uh jumping from one one to the other 
That's funny because that's actually, well, for me, that was like the hardest thing. Um, so there can be, depending on how good you are, there can be scouts, um, you know, trying to recruit you. That didn't necessarily happen for me, but there were scouts that came to um, just track meets in general. Um, I did have the opportunity to run at a few like different smaller schools, but those weren't necessarily the schools that I wanted to attend. Um, so I just ended up wanting to just walk onto the school that I was eventually going to, which was Georgia State. So I just ended up walking on. And I honestly, I, I walked on uh, my junior year. So not a lot of people do that, but that's, mm-hmm. that's what ended up happening. And then I ended up actually stopped running my senior year. So it was, it was a process. Understand. So you then graduate from college and then you say to yourself, hey, self, I want to have my own company. I want to have a company that gives back to uh, aspiring athletes or those who are athletes from Mm -hmm. low income areas. Why that mission? Why not give back to ballet? Why not give back to a different area? Why give back to up and coming athletes? Um, That's a good question. I mean, I think it was just to because I know that area um I mean I came up um not having you know a lot so that's definitely like an area that I really wanted to focus on just athletes in general not like just ballet or just track you know just athletes in general and because there's a need in that specific area so that's what I really wanted to do so did you come from a low low income area did you have family that came from a low kill low-income area what kind of sparked that that part of it um yeah so I grew up in Riverdale Georgia which is a lower income community but um I mean growing up growing up I had a great childhood so um I mean I've always had that desire to give back to the community um so yeah that's kind of really what sparked that interest so you you grow up in Riverdale Georgia you you end up going to high school and and having uh, a career in track and field and cross country. You end up Mm -hmm. going to Georgia state. You then start this company. And then Mm -hmm. you say, it's time to give back to basically my younger self. It's time to give, give back to make sure that whoever is going down that path has the necessary resources and tools. uh, So they may not have to go through the same hurdles that I did. Yes, Absolutely. So what are those resources? What are those tools? How does your company uh, merge technology to be able to help uh, those up-and-coming athletes? Another great question. So that's actually what we are currently trying to form right now. Um, Our company is really, really, really new. Um, We've only been, I just founded it in July. Mm -hmm. So we're still trying to develop that. Um, We have different like apparel um so portions of the profit goes to lower income communities and we also have something called duffel box which puts all of their athletic resources into a box and we a portion of the profits go towards um athletes in lower income communities now but now we're really actually reaching out to some of these local uh communities because i actually live in memphis now so we're um reaching out to some of these local communities, athletic centers, and trying to figure out what is the problem so that we can help and be able to solve that problem. Understand. I like that. Uh, the how, Understanding what the root problem is, is always going to be the key. Cause if you, a lot of people are out solving problems, but it's not the root. Yeah. And so then what ends up happening is, you know, you cut the ribbon, everybody's excited. 
And then two years later, the real problem is still there and mm-hmm. didn't really solve anything. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm glad you are taking that time to do that market research, understand, mm-hmm. you know, where are the problems? Because there may be, you know, a root problem in one area that may not be a root problem in another area. So understanding what the differences are uh, and then adjusting accordingly, I think is a brilliant move. Thank you. Thank you. Who, so who would be some ideal partnerships that you would like to work with? Uh, you know, a lot of people are listening to this podcast. They may have some ideas. They may have some connections. So let's manifest a few things. Who are some different brands or uh, types of companies that you would like to work with uh, with the Duffel Company? Uh, so definitely Nike. Um, we are, I went through a six-month um, program with them called um, I forget what it's called. Not, um, oh, okay, sorry. It was the Future Varsity Program. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a six-month program. They helped a lot of the um, young Black kids that are doing things in their community um, with all of their businesses and nonprofits. So they helped kind of mold us. Um, so that's definitely a partnership that I have. Um, some of the people that are in that program, we are forming our own little partnership. And just a lot of partnerships within the local community centers individually to try to solve the problem. Gotcha. So here's what I'm hearing. Strategic partnerships with apparel, uh, strategic partnerships uh, with facilities. Yes. Uh, What about uh, strategic partnerships with uh, maybe exposure to um, actual games. So if I'm out in Memphis, you know, having that connection with the Memphis Grizzlies, yeah. or if I'm in Georgia, mm-hmm. having the connection with the Falcons, yeah. or, you know, different teams. So then I'm looking at, well, I want a strategic partnership with NBA, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, NFL. And even if, if I can't get those, then why can't I get the G League or the D League yeah. to do a partnership yeah. uh, with the company just to have that exposure, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on a consistent basis? Are, are those of, of interest? Are we hitting it on the nail? Yes, you're definitely hitting it on the nail. That's actually some partnerships that I had um, in my back pocket as well or something that I've always um, thought about. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to continue to move, push the needle forward and try to figure out how to do this. <laughs> Well, if you need assistance, mm-hmm. uh, that's what the Black Equity Network is for, for us to figure out, well, how do we all work together? Because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like if we walk in together, it's going to make it a lot harder for someone to say no than if just one person walks in. Yeah, so if definitely. you need assistance, let us know. Okay. Um, so I'm, we're, we're rooting for your company. Uh, we will be tracking it and monitoring things from afar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do offer advisory services as well. Uh, for long-term vision and long-term growth. Okay, cool. So thank you for listening to the Black Equity Podcast. I am inviting you to join the exclusive Sip and Share Wine Club, which offers monthly and quarterly memberships available, deliveries of two, four, or six bottles of sweet, dry, or both wines right to your door at a 10% discount. Only 100 monthly members accept it. Begin enjoying all the privileges and benefits that go along with belonging to the club. There is no fee to join. You only pay the cost of your wine plus tax and shipping. Two wines is $38 plus tax and shipping. Four wines is $76 plus tax and shipping. And six wines is $114 plus taxes and shipping. Once again, join the Sip and Share Wine Club. 
This is your invite. Only 100 monthly members accepted. The reason why I really want to talk to you is we bumped into each other online mm-hmm. about this conversation with the NCAA. Yeah. Now, I've never been an NCAA athlete. Mm-hmm. The, the the closest you could call it is maybe chess club. I really I enjoy chess, mm-hmm. but that's as far as, as I got as far as collegiate. Mm-hmm. I did go to South Carolina State University, and I did have friends who were uh, in the athletic programs. And so I'm wondering, uh, with you being the first ever guest out of 227 episodes wow. that had something to do with sports, I want to figure out from your mind, what was your thought um, with the NCAA saying, okay, now these athletes are able to get paid for their likeness or will consider it or whatever they're trying to say. I'm a little confused. Yeah. <laughs> you know, make it clear for me. What are they really saying? Um. So I feel like somewhere in in their back mind, they're still they would probably still want to keep majority of the money for them, not necessarily towards the athletes because they're saying that it's for their image and their likeness, which I don't necessarily know what that means. I mean, maybe it's from jersey sales or whatever the case may be. But when I first heard it, um, even before I was a college athlete, um, the whole idea of college athletes getting paid didn't really speak to me that much because I was thinking, like, you know, they're already getting scholarships. Um, so I didn't really I didn't really know too much about it. But then um, obviously going into in understanding the whole like system now definitely can understand why people would be pushing for um, college athletes to get paid. And it's because when you get these scholarships, some of the scholarships are just for books or just for housing. And it's, it's not that much. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we still have to eat. We still have to do all these other different things. Um, and then we have this big, big name school that's getting tons of money and none of the athletes are getting paid. Then obviously that's a push that you would want to happen. But as far as what's, the NCAA is actually trying to say, I don't really know. <laughs> That's what I'm here to talk about. So here's what, you know, I've been analyzing. I've been watching this very closely, mm-hmm. very closely. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's less about, so you come from the athlete side. Yes. I come from the black equity side because okay. the majority of these athletes are black. Uh, yeah. From my understanding, from things that I've seen. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm, I've been watching this since I was 14 years old mm-hmm. and wondering, well, why does this particular, why is it th- this one area in society, uh, the one area where you can't profit off of your skill set? Everywhere else in America or anywhere else, you can profit off of what you do. If you start a business, you can profit off of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're, you know, if you create something, you're an inventor, you can profit off of it. But somehow, some way, as soon as you become a collegiate athlete, uh, oh, no, you can't sign an autograph and make money from that. You can't get a shoe deal. You can't do a TV spot. You can't mm-hmm. do anything unless we approve of it. And I always felt like, why are we giving up so much power to the NCAA? Mm-hmm. So here's my question. You were part of, of, of that program. D- did you ever feel like, as an athlete, that you were being taken advantage of? if you were being exploited in any type of way? And if not you, did you feel like others were being taken advantage of? 
That is an amazing question. And I'm trying to think back to a time where maybe I have maybe felt like that or any of my teammates. Um, definitely not me per se. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I always thought it was more of a mutual situation where, because I was a walk-on athlete, I wasn't even a scholarship athlete. So yes. for me, it was more about getting my time down, helping the team. And then in, in turn, I would, I would be able to do what I loved and going, going out of state to run, um, getting some free meals and some free apparel. So I never really felt like I was being taken advantage of. Um, but there definitely were, there def- okay, yes, <laughs> there definitely were some teammates that were being a little taken advantage of. Um, for example, there was one of my teammates, she was a transfer and she was really good but they only gave her a book scholarship. Mm. As far as why they only gave her that, I'm not exactly sure. My coach really tried to talk to us um, about scholarships because a lot of girls on the team were trying to get scholarships. Um, He was trying to explain it. It didn't really make sense, but I definitely think she should have gotten more. Um, And that's the only real situation I can think of. But definitely if you go to some of these larger schools, um, I definitely could see where that would be a problem. Especially when we're dealing with, I think, the, the main two sports um, as of today that could potentially be the, the, the area of focus mm-hmm. is basketball and football. football. Yep. Right? Yes. And so I'm looking at two big names come to mind. Mm-hmm. I, I think about a, a guy named Reggie Bush. Okay. And him setting all these records and doing all these, you know, great things at USC. Um, ends up being Heisman Trophy winner. I believe they won a championship, if not two. I can't remember how many they won. But what I do remember is a lot of money was exchanging hands uh, because of basically, I hate to say one player because it is, it is a team yeah. sport. Mm-hmm. But everybody was tuning in for Reggie Bush. I'm just being honest. Mm-hmm. And so... I think about uh, Reggie Bush, and then years later, they, you know, they vacate the Heisman Trophy, they vacate the wins, they, they punish the school uh, because they find out, you know, well, he may have received money or, you know, there may have been money under the table or there, you know. And so it, it's, this story has happened over and over again where mm-hmm. athletes are receiving some type of money outside of NCAA mm-hmm. and, and because the NCAA <clears throat> won't allow them to make money off their likeness. So it's like you're getting, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't mm-hmm. uh, because you still have to survive. You still have to, you know, you know, be a, a, a human being, mm-hmm. but yet they don't want you to do anything other than what they say. Mm-hmm. Are there other instances where you've seen, not necessarily in your day to day, but are there other Reggie Bush stories out there that you remember um, uh, that where somebody may have gotten in trouble for receiving money or receiving money from boosters uh, and got in trouble from the NCAA? Um, Not that I can think of, but I do know that they specifically sit us down every semester or whatever the case may be for like two hours and they let us know the rules about, you know, no gambling. We can't receive money from doing these camps, which I thought was really kind of just 
weird because it's just like okay how are we supposed to be making money when we're not running if we're not if we don't have a job or anything like that they had these rules where you couldn't um basically like attach your name to like a camp so if I was in school and I wanted to host like a running camp or something like that something small but they definitely just sat us down and were like here's the rules about receiving money that we just really don't want you guys to have so I can't really think of like another Reggie Bush story or anything like that but I do know they sit us down and make that like a priority now I'm going to ask a question you could choose to answer or choose not to answer <laughs> okay um who is they oh that's a good question the NC <laughs> the NCAA so just is a it, lot huh are they sending like a representative from somewhere else or is there always a representative on campus how does how yes. does they work Yes, so it's um, compliance at our school. So each team, each NCAA, or each school in general should have someone in their admin office that focuses on compliance. So, um, yeah, it's everybody on the compliance side or everybody in the athletics department, basically. And they sit us down and talk to us, you know, just go over the rules. understand. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned something. Uh, I'm a very great listener. Okay. You said, you mentioned the word work. Yes. In your opinion, would you be able to work and be a full-time student and be a full-time athlete? Is that possible? In your <clears throat> it is possible, but it's something that I do not recommend. So for my example, I literally did like everything on campus. So I was a an athlete. I ran cross country and track. And this is all in college, by the way. So that's really hard. Mm -hmm. So I ran track, cross country. I had like three different jobs. Um, wow. Included an internship. I ran an on-campus organization. But that's really not effective. Because, I mean, if I would give advice to somebody, I would just say, just stick to being an a, a student athlete. That's it. Um, but then again, if you're not getting paid or anything like that, then how are you going to have money for anything else that you want to do yeah. if you want to eat or whatever the case may be so it's doable but it's not something i would recommend i'm going to ask a question and i, I we're theorizing here we don't have the answer mm -hmm. so i'm just cautioning everybody that's listening if okay let me see how i want to say this <laughs> why do you think that the NCAA, in your best estimation, doesn't want athletes to get paid for their likeness uh, prior to what we heard these last two weeks. Mm -hmm. For the last 20, 30 years, however long it's been. Yeah. Why during this time has, do you believe, we don't know, do you believe that, why do we, why are they saying, no, you can't get paid for your likeness? So you're saying, like before they announced that they will be? Yes. All this time, um, why why couldn't we do it before? I just I really think it's all about money. That's mm -hmm. just my main thought. Is just they want to keep the money for themselves. You know, they it's it's a business. Business are supposed to be making money. They are. I don't know if they're thinking. You know, we've already accepted you you into the school. You had the opportunity to make it to the leagues or whatever the case may be to make to actually start making money but right now you're in school so your your job is to be a student athlete 
Mm. And we've given you, you know, we've given you scholarships. Maybe we haven't, but we've given you the opportunity right now to play to hopefully make it one day. That's my thoughts. And so let's say that is true. Mm -hmm. Let's say that what you just said would be what they would say. And so I want to understand the equity of language. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I'm looking at uh, what is the definition of a job? Because you said, uh, hey, your job is to be a student athlete. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking up the word job based off of the dictionary that they've provided to us all these years here on earth. <laughs> and they say that job is a paid position of regular employment. Mm-hmm. And so if it is, you know, your job to be a student athlete, then okay, cool. Then where is my uh, paid position of regular employment? Where is my consistent cash flow mm-hmm. coming to me? Where's my equity? Yeah. Where's my my black equity? Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's that's definitely a good point. Um, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. And so I'm just wondering. So I I was listening to an interview. I've been studying this. Okay. Um, Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics. Okay. He sat down uh, on uh, uh, with Maverick Carter to talk about uh, kneading dough is the name of the uh, YouTube um, conversation, Kneading Dough. And, j- and this is within 24 to 48 hours of us recording this at the time. Uh, so Jason Tatum, uh, or Maverick Carter, was asking Jason Tatum, hey, when did you realize that uh, that af- uh, being an athlete was really a business? And he mm-hmm. said, I didn't realize it really until... Uh, my freshman year uh, in college. Mm-hmm. So here's what he, he noticed. You know, it, it was very upsetting that, you know, inside the, uh, the, whatever, the shop or the gift shop at school, his jersey, number zero, would be sitting there. Obviously, it didn't have his name on it, but everybody knew who jersey it was. Mm-hmm. And as he couldn't get a discount on the jersey, his mom couldn't get a jersey without paying full price for it. And he realized that at that point, um, they had basically um, taken his identity mm. without using his name, taken his likeness, and not allowed him to profit one cent off of it, and even made him pay full price, his mother pay full price in order to wear his own jersey mm. that everybody's coming to go see him because he's just, you know, this star athlete. Um, and so I'm listening to that and I'm thinking to myself, this system is crazy what we are doing to college athletes. Because in many ways, what we are saying to them is that we own you. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that definitely just gave me chills. But um, yeah, as we spoke before, it's definitely, we're definitely really honing in on definitely basketball and football, I believe. Um, because these are the bigger, the bigger sports when you come when it comes to the NCAA. But yeah, I I <laughs> I definitely agree, and um, it's it's really crazy. And I know for a fact for me, I mean, I didn't really understand the business of college sports either, and I'm still learning about it. So yeah, yeah. Well, the beautiful the beautiful thing is now you're on the other side. Mm-hmm. Now you are the business of sport. And so you get an opportunity in even a a small way to shape 
a new narrative, especially if they're going to. Uh, and here's the thing: this is what I tweeted about as soon as I saw this, because everybody was like, "Oh, they're going to allow the the athletes to get paid." And so here's here's my issue. Once again, let's look at the equity of words. I'm looking at a word called allow. Okay. <laughs> yes. What is what is the definition of allow? Let, let's pull it up. The definition of allow is to give someone permission to do something. Mm. And so here's my issue. And I'm glad I'm so glad you you and I are having this conversation because to me this is going to be a classic episode that people are going to have to rewind and go back to mm. uh, because it's, it's a mark in, it's a stamp uh, of time as, as we're looking at history right now. Yes, we are. You, you are telling, you're giving me permission to get paid off of my skill set. Mm. You're giving, that's what allow is. And even when the headlines came out on ESPN, uh, well, the real headline is uh, NCAA is considering allowing college athletes to get paid off of their likeness. So they're considering to give us, and I say us, like I said, the only thing I ever do is play a little bit of chess, but they're, <laughs> they're giving us permission to benefit and profit off of our God-given talents. Nothing that they've actually done, nothing that they've created. The only thing that they've created is a system in order to uh, monetize those those gifts. Mm-hmm. That's what NCAA has done. They've created a system to create money out of thin air off of the backs and the labor of people who have God-given talents. Mm. Yep. Wow. And it's uh, this is also just another another thing. Is I'm looking at the article name and it says pay for the use of their name and their images. So this is only like a small portion of what they're getting paid for. They're not even, you know, getting regular um, like compensated regularly. It's just for their name likeness. So I I really think that they are trying to give like a little piece of something like Mm. not the whole not the whole thing. Like they're trying to say, oh, we're going to sign a bill to you know, allow them to get paid a little bit. <laughs> but here's the thing, Maya. If, if 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 we rewind time, and I'm on campus with you at Georgia State, or you're on campus with me at South Carolina State, and there, you know, there's a star athlete there. Of course, you know, we'll, we'll call him Bob. Mm-hmm. Bob is going to make money off of his likeness. We're all excited for Bob because mm-hmm. everybody knows him. He's the number one athlete on campus, mm-hmm. but are you going to make money off of your likeness? Now, the reason why I ask that is, how much was your autograph worth? Mm. Uh, okay, maybe you do get a chance to host one of those camps. How much money is that really going to yield you? Yeah, and so, that. if your name isn't LeBron James, which you didn't go to college, but everybody gets my point. <laughs> if, if your name isn't Reggie Bush, if you're not like the top top athlete Mm -hmm. how much can you really leverage exactly your likeness yeah so there's only so much you can do it's only going to go to the people who would have already gotten it a year or two later anyway the only people this helps in my opinion is uh, a person who is in college and maybe is afraid of uh potentially getting hurt 
And so they want to get a really good deal a few years earlier than, you know, waiting to go pro. So I can sign mm-hmm. my Nike deal, you know, freshman year in college instead of waiting until, you know, like uh, Zion Williamson, waiting until I get uh, drafted and then I'll, you know, do it after the draft. It, it mm-hmm. saves me 12 months to, tw- to 24 months where I can get in early and get my money. But somebody else on the team, the, the 12th person on the basketball team, mm-hmm. whether they can get paid off their likeness or not, yeah. there's not much they, they can really do different either way. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely, I definitely agree with you. A lot, like the, this is only going to benefit the top athletes and then it's only going to benefit the top athletes at the top school. So that's a percentage of a percentage. Uh, now we're talking. This is a percent. Oh, that is. Oh, that's the name of this, this episode. <laughs> a percentage of a percentage of my God given talent. <laughs> that even, it's like it's almost like I start a business. Mm-hmm. It's worth. Five million dollars, but somehow magically someone has crafted a world. I don't know where this world came from. It's all imaginary. They crafted this world and said, "Hey, your five million dollar business, we're going to give you access only to two uh, percent of it. The rest mm-hmm. of it, we're going to keep during these four years. Mm-hmm. After these four years, you can do whatever you like with it. But during these four years, you are not allowed to profit off of it. Mm-hmm. And somehow we all sign papers and say that's fine." You do whatever you want. And so let me look at one more uh, equity of words here. Because now you've got me all riled up. <laughs> okay. So I want to understand, you said on, on campus, there's a compliance officer. Yes. So we have to understand what the word compliance means. Mm-hmm. Compliance. The action or fact of complying with a wish or command. Now, in order to understand compliance, I have to understand command. So let me look up command uh, definition. Give uh, an uh, authoritative order. So NCAA on every campus from the information that we're we're gathering today have someone on campus that gives an uh, authoritative order on what can or cannot happen on that campus, especially dealing with Profiting off your own God-given talents, mm-hmm. they're stationed on all all campuses, just waiting and watching and making sure. And guess what? That person gets a steady paycheck. The compliance officer on every NCAA campus is getting a steady paycheck to put in the order to make sure that nobody else gets a steady paycheck. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm envisioning with their system. And so now they're realizing, oh my goodness, you know, people are realizing that our business model sucks. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to give just a little bit, we're going to give a percentage of a percentage. And, and so here's where they really messed up. They messed up a few months ago where they tried to put in a whole new rule, uh, you know, saying, well, in order to be a sports agent, you have to have, you know, a college degree and take this test and do this test. And everybody said, "Well, what is going on here? This is the Rich Paul rule, because mm-hmm. now you're trying to you're trying to x him out of being able to represent certain college athletes 
uh, he'll only be able to represent professional athletes if you do it this way because he doesn't have that college degree. Mm. And so they, people start calling him out and everybody said, no, you're double dipping. So then they had to go back and say, oh, no, you know, uh, we, we'll we change that. We'll take off the degree part. Because it started feeling a little racist. Mm. It started feeling a little bit of, of targeting towards one specific person because they thought this person had too much power and was dictating too much in, in college sports and sports in general. Mm. Well, so how do we, uh, what do we do about this? That's the question that I have. I believe this is just my opinion. Now, this is going to sound crazy. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. But there was a gentleman, uh, what is his name? What is his name? Uh, by the name of LeVar Ball. Okay. okay. Yes. I know. I know this is not a great way to start a story. I know. <laughs> but there was a gentleman by the name of LeVar Ball. And he was starting a uh, an organization. I believe it was JSU. It was Junior uh, what was he starting? One moment. LeVar Ball Junior Basketball League. Junior Basketball Association. Mm-hmm. And the Junior Basketball Association uh, is a design for an alternative to the an alternative to the National Collegiate Athletic Association, also known as NCAA. Mm-hmm. And it was allowing high school and junior college players to immediately play professionally. Immediately, the league was first announced in December 2017 by LeVar Ball, and he said it would be completely funded by Ball Sports Apparel Company. I believe, and you can call me a conspiracy theory if you like, (laughs) I believe that when that report came out, if you pull up uh, Junior Basketball Association Mm -hmm. and you look at the articles uh, around that time, that was the same time that magically all the news about LeVar Ball was that he was evil, he was a bad father, he was a bad person, and everybody was leveraging their media outlets to attack uh, LeVar Ball. Now, I'm not saying he's an angel. (laughs) I'm not saying he's perfect. But imagine if an alternative to the NCAA existed. So what do we do? The answer is in what what they attack. They attacked LeVar Ball the moment he announced that he was going to have a junior basketball association. And the reason why they attacked him is because it was an alternative. Mm. The goal to me, if I'm looking at equity here, Mm. is to create alternatives to the NCAA. We have to stop playing their system. And so then then it makes me think another uh, piece of news that came out. Jamel Hill said uh, two months ago Mm -hmm. that she said... Athletes, black athletes especially, go to HBCUs. Yes, that's what I was trying to to get you to say. I think that is uh, is so smart to just go to HBCUs. I mean, I'm, of course, this isn't going to like solve the major problem that we have, but I think it would be a step in the right direction because in this. Tell me why. Tell me why. Because <clears throat> you think about all of these PWIs, Alabama, Auburn, whatever, um, UGA, all of these schools, they are predominantly white. Um, 
and these athletes, of course, they want to go to like the number one school. But if we have them go to the HBCUs that number one actually care about black students, um, number one will get more um, money, not only to the HBCUs, but will be moving in the right direction. I'm not sure how that's even going to solve this NCAA problem, but it'll be a step towards the right direction. Here's how I think it could help. What Jamel Hill was basically saying in the article is one of our greatest leverages in our culture is our athletic dominance. Yep. We are athletically more dominant than other cultures. It's just what it is. It doesn't mean in every case that's the situation. Mm -hmm. You know, I can beat you in chess. I probably can't outrun you. You know, but it it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But in most situations, the majority of the time, our culture, our community is athletically dominant to other cultures and communities. And for the longest, other cultures and communities have done what they're dominant at and only stay doing that. There are certain cultures and communities who are dominant at banking. And so they own banks. There are certain cultures and communities that are dominant at owning hotels. And so they only own hotels. And so the one place that we are dominant at, we've given over our rights and said, here, take our rights of dominance and we'll we'll be beholden underneath you during the time of our most dominant years. Mm. The times that we're at our strongest will be be at our weakest because we won't be able to profit off of the the very thing that we're, where we are strong at. And so I believe in that article, what Jamel Hill is really hinting at is if everybody went there to an HBCU, mm-hmm. forget, if we're, forget if they're getting paid or not, it would leverage everything because then the HBCUs would have all the power to negotiate all TV deals, all, uh, all pricing on tickets, the facilities of where these uh, games are going to be played. We would then be able to put all the HBCUs together in one room and say, in order to have access to these athletes and to see them on the world stage, you're going to have to pay a premium. Mm-hmm. We could have, you know, an, an app where all the games are being played on, similar to like a Bleacher Report mm-hmm. uh, where they built their own app and you can catch live games. Mm-hmm. All the games would be on a particular app. The, those money that the money that would go towards paying for those. Uh, for that app could go to, uh, you know, taking care of the HBCUs. And then if NCAA uh, decides to, you know, act funny, we leverage them and say these players should be able to get a a portion of equity for all the money that is being generated. And if we really want to play ball, we then negotiate against uh, our college uh, basketball players in our league playing in the March Madness and we hold our own March Madness. There's so much leverage that can be done if we work together and Absolutely. see where we are dominant. Absolutely. I, I agree 100%. Um, and just, just in general, just HBCUs, what their mission is for. Like, they're, they're there to support Black students. So if <laughs> Black students or Black athletes, if we're dominant in a sport and we all attend this HBCU, we're all just going to, you know, grow together. And then I think it'll be great for everybody. I think it would change the world. Now, are we being very idealistic? 
Yes. Because, you know, when you have someone like Stephen A. Smith, as soon as the report came out that Jamel Hill had, you know, he said it's just not it's never gonna happen because there's just too the ball's already rolling. I mean there's too much money in it. Go ahead. Yeah, there is I I can see what he means. Um that is it is idealistic and it's probably not going to happen for all of them to go to an HBCU because these schools, well, we're not gonna say that there aren't they haven't been around, but these predominantly white institutions have been around for a long time and they have so much money. That's that's the first part. Some HBUs don't have a lot of money, number one. So if they don't even have enough money to give them sco- enough scholarships to attend, then why would they want to attend in the first place? So that's just my thoughts. Um, but I mean, it, all I feel like all it takes is just for at least one athlete to make that step. And then maybe the rest of them will follow. We'll see. Yeah. Imagine if LeBron James, at, you know, back in the day, yeah. 18 years old, says, you know what, instead of going to the league, mm-hmm. I'm going to do one year at Howard. Yeah. Because you saw what happened when he, you know, decided to go to Miami Heat. Now, magically, we've got super teams all over the world. Yeah. And so if he goes to Howard, then other players are like, you know what, what are we doing? Why are we... You know, so excited about holding championships up for these schools that really don't value us. How do I know they don't value us? Because on every campus, they're comp- telling us that we must comply to their rules that don't allow us to profit off of our own God-given talents. We've broken it all down here on this episode. We looked at the equity of the words that they're handing us. Mm. They're telling us that they own us. They're telling us that they give us the commands. We know that we're dominant in this area, and it, and I always find it, I find it to be very peculiar that the reason why your your company exists is to give back to athletes in low-income areas. Now, why is it that some of the best athletes in the world <laughs> always seem to come from low-income areas? Yeah. Now, isn't that something? Yeah, absolutely. It just, it, like... I can see if it was just a one-off, right? Mm-hmm. But your company is going to be solving a root problem. Now, why would that be a root problem? Why would it be in every single state that some of the best athletes, if we take the 10 best athletes out of each state, we'll say six of them, you know, minimum, are from low-income areas. Why would that be? Because they're would... all black. <laughs> Okay, so they're so they're black, and so why is it that black athletes are from low income areas? What would what would be your best guess, Maya? Um, uh, I don't, I really don't know. Um, uh, that's a good question. I I can't think seem to think of the answer. What do you well, what do you think? I believe uh this one I believe. I believe that in uh the forties, the fifties and sixties, there was a thing called redlining. Okay. And I believe that the people who were really great friends with uh, NCAA owners, uh they redlined certain uh communities. And those communities happen to look like you and I. 
And the, what did redlining do? That meant that government funding couldn't go to these areas. Mm. Government funding could go to the green areas, but not the red areas. And the green areas just happened to be where all the white kids were, where all the right white families were. Mm-hmm. And that's great, but you can't get your athletes out of those areas. I mean, there's some. <laughs> but you can definitely get them out of, out of the red areas. And guess what we can offer them in order to you know keep everything calm mm. we can offer them scholarships mm. and if we offer them scholarships instead of going to hbcus where we won't put any funding because mm. most of the hbcus are in redlined areas mm. so what we'll do is we'll give all of our government funding to green lined areas we won't give money to the red line areas and so those uh college athletes are those athletes that are on the rise uh, they they will always have to be beholden to the scholarships that we hand out. Mm. And if we decide that it's a full scholarship, great. But sometimes we'll just hand you a full scholarship. And you know what? If we don't like it, you're, you're going to have to walk on. Mm. When you first... we decide oh, what happens and what doesn't. Yeah, so when you first asked me that question, everything that I think of goes to slavery. Like, that's that's the answer to everything. Um, but I'm glad you actually found uh, this redlining because I've never, never heard of it. But that's that's definitely a problem. Yeah, it, it, I would challenge everybody who's listening to understand what gentrification and redlining did to black communities. Mm-hmm. I want people to do research on Black Wall Street mm-hmm. in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, uh, Black Wall Street in Durham, North Carolina. And understand that we have the most thriving communities in the entire country. Mm-hmm. And somehow they got bombed. Yeah. And somehow after they got bombed, there was a recession and a Great Depression. And then they decided to redline certain areas and greenline other areas. And money went to the green and not the red. And it's been the same ever since. And now they're regentrifying all the areas. Brooklyn, New York, Harlem, Detroit. All these areas are now getting that were notoriously uh, chocolate cities, uh, New Orleans. Now these areas magically are turning white mm. because uh, somebody, <laughs> somebody by the name of Donald Trump has allowed for opportunity zones to exist. And in these opportunity zones, uh, that's where investors can actually uh, receive uh, huge tax incentives for investing in these areas. Mm-hmm. But guess who has the money to go into those those tax incentive areas? Mm-hmm. And guess who doesn't? Wow. That's a lot to take in. I think one city that would be relatively hard to... Uh, I wouldn't say gentrify because there are areas that are being gentrified, but Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Atlanta is full of culture. There are tons of Black people... Um, so I think that's another good area for black people to thrive. So that's definitely what I'm thinking about. Yeah. I think Atlanta has, uh, proven to be a consistent model. Uh, even, even at, at Atlanta, there still has to be, we still have to have the government play fair. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to do that right now with him in office. So. Well, we'll 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 see, but I think it's so important that we all gather around a company like yours and work with 
legislation mm-hmm. to make sure that necessary funding does make it to these low income areas mm-hmm. and it can start off by working uh, with athletes and then over time let's extend that out to not just the athletes but uh, the youth overall mm-hmm. uh, in these areas we can we can start with uh, making sure that athletes in these areas get the necessary funding and then for a kid like me that's sitting in the corner who's playing chess and ready to out strategize everybody uh, I'm going to need some funding too. Mm-hmm. And so it can't just be the athletes, but I do believe that's a great foundation yeah. to begin with uh, for this conversation moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So for people who are interested in making sure that they help your company help low income areas and athletes in those areas, how do people reach out to you? How do they work with you? What is the best way to work with the Duffel Company? Great question. So they can just log on to our website, which is www.duffelapp.com. We do have an impact page. So that is for anybody that wants to uh, create a partnership with us, or they can reach out to us via Instagram or any of our other social media networks, which is at duffelapp on all social media platforms. Um, And they can read a, a little bit more about what our company is about on our website as well. So those are the beginning steps. Thank you so much, Maya. Now, I've been really tough on this episode. Yes. I've been really, this has been really heavy. So I want to end it on a light note. Uh, who are some of your favorite athletes of all time? Oh, good question. Okay, so <laughs> track um, is definitely Sonya Richards Ross. Okay, okay. Um, basketball. Well, she's going to be, she has a, a television show coming out soon. I saw her on the Breakfast Club the other day. Oh, really? Yeah, she was yeah. in the, the Breakfast Club. Um, she had a show that was out already, um, but I think it ended after one season. So if she has another one coming out, that's great. Um, and for basketball, obviously LeBron James. Okay. <laughs> okay, I guess. Go ahead. <laughs> Football would be. Um, hmm. Hmm. Go ahead. I want to hear this. I mean, I would say Odell Beckham, but... Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. Go ahead. Um, I like Richard Sherman. Okay. I can work with Richard. I like uh, Marshawn Lynch. Okay. Um, okay. So, are you a Seahawks fan? I was at one point, but I'm a Giants fan right now just because... <laughs> and Yes, I say right now because um, my family uh-huh. is a Giants fan. So, okay. I have a few teams that I like. A few teams I want to like, so the Atlanta Falcons, I want to like them eventually, right. but yeah. So, so you kind of just jump around. You just, whatever whatever team that yeah. day, you could just be on that team. Yes, because if you are watching a football game, I don't want to just not have anybody to root for. So if I see the Seahawks are playing one day, then I, I can have somebody to root for. So that's what Got I do. You. you just love sports and just having a good time. Yes. Absolutely. I understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I allowed to give you my favorites? Yes. <laughs> all right. So, favorite basketball player of all time? <laughs> I'm going to go with Kobe. Okay. I'm going with Kobe. Kobe's my favorite basketball player of all time. Uh, favorite football player of all time is Deion Sanders. Okay. I believe he, I believe he's the best football player ever, both sides. Mm-hmm. I, I, I believe he's the, at the time, not now. I believe he was the best all-around athlete to be able to play baseball, 
play um, defense and offense. I can't think of a better football player than Deion Sanders mm. uh, during my time. Now, I know you're 22, <laughs> so maybe you didn't see yeah, Deion. So. But um, I understand. <laughs> um, uh, oh, baseball is Barry. Uh, not Barry. What's, it, what's my brother's name? Not Barry Bonds. Oh, Ken Griffey Jr. Mm-hmm. That's my, my favorite baseball player. Favorite football team is Dallas Cowboys. Okay, that's our rival. Thanks. Well, you got so many teams, you don't really have a Okay, rival. the Giants. <laughs> okay. Did you see the black cat the other day? Yeah, I saw it on Instagram, actually. This is ridiculous. Why is there a black cat? And so here's, here's my question. We got to leave this on a light note. So let's leave it here. <laughs> now, the announcer says, hey, there's a black cat on the field. <laughs> that must mean that the Dallas Cowboys are going to have a bad season. Oh, my God. But here's. Here's my question. Wasn't the black cat at the giant stadium? Oh gosh. Wouldn't it, if, if if we did believe in superstitions, right? <laughs> if if a black cat shows up at the giant stadium, why would that have anything to do with the Dallas Cowboys? That would have something to do with the Giants. Mm-hmm. And so let's just say we believe in it. I think the Giants are about to have 15 years of bad football <laughs> if we do believe in it. Oh my goodness. Uh, uh, f- favorite basketball team is the Lakers. Okay. And favorite baseball team, I, I've never done this before, so I got to put this out here, uh, <laughs> is the Yankees. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm riding with the Yankees. <laughs> but see, I, you and I are different. Yeah. I don't switch teams. Like, so, so when the Lakers are, when, when the Lakers are down, uh-huh. I just, it is what it is. I'm a Laker fan. That's it, great. You're loyal. I, yes. I kind of go with, like, players. So oh if LeBron is going to Lakers, then I'm going to Lakers. <laughs> but where, where's the loyalty in that? Where, where there is no loyalty. But also for me, well, that this is just for me. I okay. didn't really pay that much attention to sports until like watching it and stuff until like high school. So okay. there's a lot of stuff that I have to go back and look at. Like I didn't grow up watching sports and all the other stuff. So it's going to take me a minute to actually, you know, ride with the team, ride with the player, whatever, figure out, you know, all these different schools and different games, like stuff like that. So I still have a lot of different studying to do. So that's just Mm -hmm. my, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Who is your favorite male track star? Mm. Well, hmm. that's a good question because I don't really have one. Huh. Um, no one's ever stood out to you? Uh, I mean, obviously, old? yeah, obviously you saying, but I mean, I would think more about like the 800 meter runners. Okay. I forget his first name, but I think his last name was like Simmons. Hmm. Um, also like Brenda Martinez. She's um, a good 800 meter runner, but she's a female. I don't really have any uh, favorite track athletes. How how did you know that you wanted to get in track? I mean, what was it about <laughs> that particular sport? I mean, you could have played volleyball, yeah. you could have played other sports. What was it about that? Did you have a soccer team on your Yeah, we had we had soccer. I started in middle school, so I just kinda I knew I don't know. It was like my my grandfather, he ran track. Um one day I was like running and we were like playing around and we raced and I was pretty decent. So in middle school, they were like, okay, you can start play- You can start playing in sixth grade. And I was actually pretty good at it. 
So it's just something that I kept doing. And then yeah. for cross country, that was a whole different situation because I never even heard of cross country until high school. But my coach, he actually came up to me and I guess he said I look like a run track or something. He was like, oh, are you interested in running cross country? And I was terrified because I didn't know what cross country was. I thought you like run across the country. But oh, goodness. yeah, it was just that you run for a really long distance. So that's how that that's how that happened. Uh, are you familiar? Uh, I know we have a little bit of an age gap here, so I got to make sure you understand the reference. Do you are you familiar with Forrest Gump? Yes. Oh my goodness, that is and, that's hard. And him running around the whole country. What'd you say? And you, do you remember the scene where he's like literally running across the country? Yes. Well, you said it's funny that I asked you that. Why, why do you say that? Because I'm not that young to not know what Forrest oh. Gump is. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I mean. If you if you don't know about Deion Sanders, I do know about if, Deion Sanders. Oh, okay. So you so you're aware of Deion is the yes. greatest player of all time. I I understand that he's a good player. <laughs> oh, okay. So who who do you think from your eyeballs that you've seen is the greatest football player that you ever watch? Oh. Uh huh. Go ahead. Yeah, that's I'm not. Listening. That's a bad. I I don't know. See, so you don't even know who it is, but then you're going to try to down. My pick. <laughs> you should say, you know what? Based off of your okay, wisdom yes. and your expertise, yes. for now I'm going to default to Dion until I know better. Okay, yes. For now, okay. until I study everything and I look okay. at numbers, then I will go with Dion Sanders. As soon as we hang up on this podcast episode, I'm sending you Dion Sanders highlights. Okay. And I want you to watch them, and then you tell me if he isn't the greatest of all time. Okay, sounds good. Maya Newton, thank you for coming on the Black Equity Podcast. Thank you so much for I having wanna, me. You're very welcome. I want to make sure we stay in touch. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure we're supporting the Duffel Company. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that people are aware of, of what's going on, different press releases, different events that you have going on. You are now officially part of the Black Equity Network. So make sure you utilize us so we can help one another grow. Absolutely. After this wonderful conversation with Maya Newton of the Duffel Company, I had to go do some further research, and I found out that the NCAA compliance officer average yearly salary is $75,000. It says, as of October 29, 2019, average annual pay for an NCAA compliance officer in the United States is $75,000 a year. While ZipRecruiter is seeing annual salaries as high as 162000 and as low as 19000 the majority of NCAA compliance officer salaries currently range between 37000 to 100500 across the United States. Based on the recent job postings activity on ZipRecruiter, the NCAA compliance officer job market in both Atlanta, Georgia, and throughout the entire state of Georgia is not very active as few companies are currently hiring. People working as an NCAA compliance officer in your area are making average of $75,000 per year. Thank you for listening to the Black Equity Podcast. Thank you for our guest today, Maya Newton of the Duffel Company. We're excited to see the growth of her company And we understand the root of her mission is to make sure we're helping low disenfranchised communities uh, who have athletes, up and rising athletes, to make sure that they're getting the necessary 
uh, tools, resources, finances, the attention, the time, and the love uh, in these local communities. And so if you want to be a supporter, head over to uh, com and show your support. Partner with them. Uh, hit us up if you have some ideas. Maybe we can put together a strategic partnership. Thank you once again for listening to this episode of the Black Equity Podcast. And we'll continue our efforts of bringing you consistent, great, timely episodes on the next episode of the Black Equity Podcast.